This morning we start a brand new series and we are calling this Heart for the House. Um, we'll go through this series for the next several weeks. Um, but something for me to tell you that I think is really important is that we are unashamedly passionate about the house of God. We are convinced that God wants his local church to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings salvation to people and also to strengthen believers. And so because of those two main um, cornerstones, we always make sure to talk about this um, specific thing. This is an annual series uh, that we do. It, it's a standout event. We do a giving initiative during the, um, during the series. Uh, we talk about some needs in the church. But before I keep talking, I want you to right now, we never let you check your brain at the door. We want you to verify and understand everything that we say is true according to God's word. But what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to tap out this morning and go, oh, we're going to talk about money for a couple of weeks. You should laugh louder. Thank you. It'll go on the tape. Well, we don't call it a tape anymore. The audio recording. Um, but uh, having said that, I don't want you to tap out because money's important to you and it's important to God. Um, and so we're going to talk about that in this series and what that looks like for us to have a heart for the house, for God's house. Um, I started thinking uh, this week as I was prepping some of the details for this message, um, for every step of faith that we have made together as a church since 2013 when Amy and I got here, that step of faith, that mustard seed faith has been met by God's abundance. Amen. It has been absolutely amazing. Uh, I wrote down a couple things that I, I want to make sure that I uh, shout out to you. Um, over these last few years, we've increased our missions giving. Amen. That's amazing. Yeah. Amen. Um, we've remained committed even in tough times. Amen. Amen. We've done outreach and events in our city, in our community. We've invested in the next generation through our college ministry, the development of our kids ministry, the development of our teen ministry. God has done some incredible things in the life of our church. We're very unique in that way uh, here in the city, but we're also the same as others because God loves his people and he wants his people to reach those who are not yet his people. It's always been his desire. I say this often. God is a family man. Amen. And he wants a big family. But the generosity of God's people has made all of these things possible in our church. And I am proud in the holiest of ways to be the pastor of Celebrate Church. I really do believe that with all of my heart. As I've been thinking through like all the stuff that we've gone through, the mountaintops and the valleys, that God has been so incredibly good to each and every one of us. I look around this room and I see people who were not here then who are here now. That's amazing. I see people who have gone through personal struggles and job changes and relocations and all of these kinds of things. And I know that our God is faithful. Amen. And so it's really important for us to take time out of our busy schedule and our calendar uh, in a church year, in a calendar. 
calendar to be able to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness and then also challenge ourselves to remain committed to him. So every year we intentionally take a few weeks to remind ourselves of the importance of having this heart for God's house. And uh, during this series, I am going to be encouraging you as a church to go beyond, above and beyond what you have already committed to the Lord and you do through your regular tithes. This is something above and beyond that we're going to commit to over the course of the next several weeks and we're going to think about, God, what do you want me to give? We're not going to make a decision today about what we are going to give. We're not going to start thinking, okay, well, the tax return is coming and I can give X amount of dollars out of that. We're not doing that. What we're doing is we're simply opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and we're asking him to help us to direct us and to tell us what we should do. Okay, so I want you to just kind of understand all of that preliminarily as we go into this message today. The title of today's message is this, Money Matters. This is so, so important. Um, How many of you believe that money matters? Okay, how many of you wish you had more money? How many of you wish you had less money? Okay, I was just seeing if you're awake this morning. The writers of the Bible, though, thought that this was going to be important because it was important then, and God helped them write down some details throughout Scripture that we're going to be looking at in this series. In fact, I found this out, that there are more than 2,000 references to money in God's Word. It's the second most popular topic in God's Word. And our culture is built on the premise that we have to have more money so that we can get more stuff in order to feel happy and secure. But I was thinking as I was driving this week and I saw on uh, 51 up in Ridgeland, I was passing by a series of buildings and I saw a storage building. And then I passed another storage building. And then I passed another storage. And I know that in that community, in the Jackson metro area, there's a lot of transition, transient nature of jobs and all that stuff. So people have their stuff there before they move into their house and stuff. But the reality is a lot of Americans actually have a storage unit just for the junk they had that they don't want to keep right now, but they want to hold on to, you know. And so that's <clears throat> that's a perfect picture or like the poster child of what American culture is. Um, and we, we have too much stuff because we bought into the myth that stuff equals happiness. Um, I know this firsthand because we're working on it with our kids. I don't know about your kids and about your life and how that works. But for our kids, we've got one who you couldn't pry a coin out of her dead cold hand. Okay. <laughs> And then we've got one that money just lights a fire in her hand. And as soon as she receives it, she, well, we're working on that. Uh, but it's, it's important for us to think about this in terms of the spiritual nature of money. So money does matter to God and there's a reason. It's not because he's greedy, but it's because we are. I want you to think about that for just a moment. Because I want to help you. My name is Dexter and I'm your friend. Okay, I want to help you set your course right this year in 2020 so that you understand. Because the natural default for us as humans in this fallen world is greed. So one of the antidotes to greed is generosity. 
And God teaches his people all throughout scripture from the very beginning of our days, our human history. He teaches us to be generous. And the truth is, you don't have to be rich to be stingy or greedy. Um, I've known kids who don't own a single thing. And they are stingy and greedy. I'm talking about your kids, not mine. Okay. I have known kids like that who don't, they, they don't have the title to a house or a car, but man, are they, there's a common word that we hear and you definitely hear it with brothers and sisters and things like that. That's mine. Stingy and greedy. So you don't have to be rich to be stingy and greedy. The converse is also true that you don't have to be rich to be generous. I want you to hear me. I have met people who have little of nothing. I've seen on the mission field. I've gone to places like Mexico. I've been in some really, really dark places. And I've seen the generosity of God's people poured out on me and on others in such a way that I thought, how in the world can they afford to do this? But the reality is they can't. They can't afford to, but they have something inside of them, which is generosity. And so our goal is to be thinking along those lines. The truth is your attitude about money is spiritually significant. The way you think about your money is very important. And your attitude, it helps affect or dictate your actions. You can leave that on the screen for just a moment because I think you really need to absorb this this week. For your children that you deal with, for the students you have, for the coworkers you have, it is an attitude that dictates the action. It's a choice that's made internally that affects what happens on the outside. And that is not just true of them. Couple of you got that. It's not just true for them. It's true for us as well. It's true in our marriages, on our jobs, in our finance. So how we handle money, how we give money, how we spend it, how we invest it, how we save it, all of this matters and it's shaped by our attitude. And I would go so far as to say that our attitude is shaped by our understanding of whose money it is. The attitude of our hearts is shaped by the understanding of whose it is. All throughout scripture, God declares and makes it very, very, very clear that everything belongs to him. No, his signature is not on the deed to your house, but he provided the job and the source of income. It's through his provision that you've seen the blessing of the Lord in your life. And as a result, you have the things that you have. So it's so important that we get this. Go with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to be in a passage of scripture this morning. And if you'll take that off the screen for just a moment, Miss Kathy, and just leave the title up. I want to give you some context for what we're going to read. So you can go to first Corinthians or Chronicles, I'm sorry, chapter 29. But I want to tell you this, something that happens in first Chronicles 17, and you can flip back there and look, but King David is having this moment of a reality check. He's been in the presence of God. It's towards the end of his life. Things have happened different ways. He's been chased by Saul. All these things. Now he has the kingdom. God's been blessing him. And I can imagine him just kind of pacing back and forth and thinking to himself, well, I live, and the the words are actually clear in chapter 17, I live in a palace 
And yet God's still living in a tent. So his heart is turned towards the reality of I am living better off than God is in, you know, in his mind. He says this to the prophet Nathan. He says, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent or a temporary dwelling. Nathan replies to him, do all that's in your heart for God is with you. But then that night, Nathan is course corrected by God himself. God allows Nathan to have said that and spoken that. But then as he's thinking about it and in the presence of the Lord, the Lord gives him some correction and the Lord actually tells him, you need to go back to David tomorrow and you need to tell him, you need to tell him something very important. He is not the one to build the house. So Nathan goes back and he, he tells him that. And the reasoning that God gives in chapter 17 is because David has been a man of war and of bloodshed and that he wants a man of peace to build his house. And that one of David's sons are going to be the ones to build the temple. And this is where we get the phrase that you've heard so often. My house shall be called the house of prayer. Jesus uses that phrase in scripture when he turns the tables of the money changers over. It's a direct quote from the passages in First Chronicles where God's word comes to David and says, You are a man of war and of bloodshed. You please me, but I am going to have a man of peace build my house because it is to be a house of prayer for all nations. In other words, if you've been a man of war and you've had enemies and you've conflicted between other people, then that's not a good example and a good setting. I'm going to get a man who's living in a peaceful time to build this house for me. So David's fine with this. David, actually, it's pretty interesting. God gives David a promise. And in this whole situation, God essentially says, I've chosen for you not to be the guy to build my house, but I am assuring you this, that your house will stand forever. The kingdom of David will be talked about for all generations because your son who builds my house. And so it's clear that King David had a heart for God's house. And he said, okay, so what if I can't build it? I'm sure going to finance it. I'm still going to partner with it, even if I can't do it. We're still going to give $100 each month as a commitment from our church to our missionary families that we commit to do, even though you say, well, I only have really like $10 a month that I can give towards mission. If Bill can do that, and I can do that, and Meg can do that, and Crystal and Andrew can do that, then all of a sudden we may have more than one $100 to give. Do you see the impact that happens? So often we think that the gift that we give is insignificant, but I'm here to tell you that the gift you give is significant in the eyes of God. More than that, the motivation behind the gift is what counts for him. That's why we hear about Jesus seeing what's happening in the temple in the New Testament. And he sees the widow who's giving the money, the last two pennies. I'll give you that sort of American understanding. The last two coins she had into the offering compared to all the Pharisees who were walking by and just emptying pockets full of money. And Jesus points her out and says that she gave more. How is it possible? Is he confused? Does he just not know the, the, the economy back then, the Israelite? 
economy? No, he obviously does, but he's looking at the motivation behind the gift. So money matters. So help me as we go into First Chronicles chapter 29, just pay attention this morning as we read through this, which is talking about the gifts that were given for the building of the house of God. It says this, and David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work before him is great. For the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and the wood for the things of wood. Besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Is he up there just kind of touting everything that he's given? You need to keep listening. So I have provided, he says, for the house of my God. I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, it says, and the gold of Ophir and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house. Stop there for just a second. That quantity seems foreign to us. You may have gold earrings or a gold ring. Imagine 3,000 of them, whatever it is, and David is giving that into the treasury of the Lord. It says, for the overlaying of the walls of the house and for the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of silver, who then will offer willingly consecrating himself today to the Lord? So David is setting an example. Your pastor and his wife set an example here in this church. We are part of this together. It says then that David is asking that publicly to those who've been gathered there. It says then in verse 6 that the leaders of fathers' houses made their freewill offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. I want you to get the picture that everyone gave something. Verse 7, it says, They gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents, 10,000 derricks of gold, and whoever had precious stones, and it goes on, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. Listen to me. Don't fall asleep this morning and don't get bored with numbers. God is concerned with numbers. There's a whole book. (laughs) about numbers, okay? I was talking to someone this week and I was trying to do very simple math, subtract a certain amount from a hundred. There was no change in it, just a dollar amount. It was with, it ended with a five and I kind of just stared up in the ceiling for a second, searching for the answer to see if I could find it. And I said, and I said this out loud, you know, I'm just, I can't math well right now. And they said, oh, well, the total, that's 65. Okay, great. That's what 35 and 65, I think that's right. Still, anyway, but having said that, though, God is concerned with the numbers. I work a second job from here. Seems like all they talk about are numbers. 
everything, and here's something that we say all the time. Numbers tell a story because they're factual with or without your feelings. Well, (laughs) numbers do tell a story. And here the story is told of the, the amazing, abundant gift that is given for the work of the house of God, for the, for the development of it. Verse 8, it says this, And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord. In the care of Jehiel the Gershonite, then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly... For with a whole heart, they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. So here we have this wonderful picture of generosity. And if you'll leave that verse on the screen for just a moment, they gave willingly with a whole heart, not half-heartedly. They offered freely, and then David the king rejoiced greatly. They gave willingly with a whole heart. And that's how we as believers should give. But you know, the truth is, some people don't give for the right reasons. Do you know that? Have you ever received a gift and then you determined later that that gift was given to you for the wrong reason? So we don't always give for the right reason. And all of us, even in this small gathering of people, we don't all give for the same reason. So I want to share with you this morning as we are evaluating kind of our own life and making sure that the motivation behind our giving is the right one. I want us to talk about some of those wrong reasons, but let me be clear. Our giving is different than the world's giving. The world's giving is just so that they can reach the bar or hit the mark and be able to do what they want to do. That's what their focus is on, is reaching the target. But when we are looking at God's word, we see that God is not only concerned about the amount that is given, but he's also considering or concerned with why we give what we give. So you should, if you want to be part of Celebrate Church or any healthy church, you should give of three T's. Three. See, I can't even math well. Did you see that? Did you catch that, Mike? Three T's. Time, talent, and treasure. I find it interesting that in the church settings that I've been in, and I was born and raised in churches, my parents were in ministry, still are in ministry to this day. I've been in thousands of services at this point. I've seen all of, all of what you can see. I think (laughs) I've seen all of what you can see within the context of the church. But what I found is this, that the people who are not giving of their time or their talents find it easy to not give of their treasure. It's really like a combo that all three have to be engaged in order for it to actually power the machine. So I want you to think about that. When Meg came up just a few moments ago and she talked about starting point and she talked about the membership renewal, all three of those pieces need to be engaged. Well, pastor, I don't have a whole lot of time, but you can make some time. Pastor, I don't think I have a whole lot of talents, but you can serve in some way, shape or form. Pastor, I don't have a whole lot of treasure, but God still wants something from you and his people still need Something from you. 
If we're talking about us being the body of Christ, like we so often do, and scripture talks about, if I've got a dysfunctional arm, then I cannot fully accomplish the tasks that require two arms. So I want you to think about where you are in the context of those three things of the time, the talent, and the treasure. But some people give for the wrong reason, and we'll talk about those three reasons now before we talk about the right reasons, which we can see in Scripture. The first is this. Some people give because they actually think that God needs their contribution. Well... Uh, some people do. They give because they think God needs it and that without their valuable help, the ministry will not go on. I'm going to tell you something. I've been on the receiving end of an attitude like this, and I want to tell you our God is faithful and he supplies the need every single time. It doesn't matter if there are stingy people involved and they get a curse from the Lord. God will bring what he needs to bring to see that the mission gets accomplished. Hallelujah. But some people do. They give for that wrong reason. The next reason is, number two, some people give because they think that they're paying their dues for their membership. And in some churches, they might think that's one offering a year. Not in this church, I'm talking about others. Some people give because they think that they're paying their dues for their membership. You know, I don't know if you've ever had a gym membership, if you've ever done one of those um, mail-to-the-house grocery memberships, like Blue Apron, where they send you the grocery. Like, if you've had something that you've paid for a membership or a subscription, you get something from that. Even if it's a magazine subscription, you pay the dues and you get the thing back in return. And some people actually think that they're paying dues When it regards membership. And this is a wrong reason to give. The third wrong reason is this. Some people give because they think that they can buy blessings. Or that they can buy peace. Or that they can appease God and receive forgiveness. They believe that this is possible. And I'm going to tell you, you think, oh, that's crazy. Why would they ever, have they ever read the Bible? Yes, but it's gone one ear and out the other. And they don't understand who God is and what he really wants from them. Because you cannot buy blessings. There is no way that you can buy forgiveness from God. There just isn't. And I'm going to tell you something interesting, which I found out and um, I've thought about this week as just talking through this, these points here. When we talk about buying blessings or peace or forgiveness, there was an actual whole movement in history that was started by the Catholic Church that actually did this and was proud of it. So at one time, people could in their minds, by God's forgiveness and even salvation. In the 16th century, there's a gigantic church building. Miss Kathy, do you have that picture? This is just the edifice of the building. The building is massive. It's one of the largest, if not the largest churches in the world. The name of this site is in Rome and it is St. Peter's Basilica. You may not realize, you may have heard of the word indulgences that get sold or got sold back in those days, but they did it for a church building project. 
the Pope in Rome was hard pressed to um, get the funds that were needed in order to make it happen. And so in order to speed up contributions, he started sending out monks with little trinkets and things as salesmen all over Europe in order to sell indulgences. They were touted as certificates of forgiveness. So when you purchased one, then you could receive forgiveness. This is a serious thing that happened in church and world history. We know, or you should know, I want you to know, the study of church history shows that we had something back in the tail end of that century, the 16th century, that is now known as the Protestant Reformation. It happened because a man named Martin Luther was really ticked off that people were misusing God's word and said, you can buy his forgiveness. So Martin Luther was a revolutionary in that day. But I found this out. There's actually a monk, it's, it's articulated in history, his name is Johann Tetzel. He was a monk and a salesman, and he composed a jingle that they would sing on street corners. This is what it says, according to history. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul out of purgatory springs. You think of the jingles you've heard on TV or radio, ba-da-ba-ba-ba. See, you know it. Can I, can I just ask if you think that people would have caught on to this? They absolutely would. The result was terrible abuse in the house of God and with the people of God. Because here's what ends up happening. They could feel free to sin as long as they had enough money to cover that sin by Sunday morning. You think that's gross because we're talking about it and it's way back then, but it still happens today. I feel bad about the things I've done this week, so I'm going to add $10 to my offering. So there are many wrong reasons to give to God. But what we just saw in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 are the right reasons, and I want to give you those. The first right reason to give is because the Lord deserves the very best. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. He owns it all. We need to understand this every day, not just once a year, not just one Sunday a year, whatever the case may be. We need to really grasp the truth of this, that he owns it all. He deserves then the best. Amen? Number two reason, the right reason, according to the verses that we've read, is because it's our joy and privilege to give to the Lord. It's not an obligation. In fact, Paul points this out to the churches in the New Testament and says that we're not supposed to give out of an obligation, but we're supposed to give willfully and out of the abundance of our pocket, out of the abundance of your heart. That's why it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. You need to go back and listen to this message again. It's good stuff. I'm serious. It's a joy and a privilege to give to the Lord. And then number three is because all that we have comes from him and rightly belongs to him. My wife and I personally know just one couple who are millionaires. And um, to see them... And to understand the heart behind what they do 
what they've received and how much they give is mind-numbing. God has done an incredible thing and blessed their business. They've blessed this church back in the day when we needed to do renovations and all of those things. God has done some amazing things, and they've never visited this church, but they gave to the work of the ministry here. But I'll never forget walking into a beautiful house on the beach in Hawaii that we actually had the pleasure of staying in rent-free for a couple of days without them and just having the house to ourselves as a vacation spot. It was awesome. You open up the sliding glass doors. It's like what you see in a beautiful magazine. And the beach breeze is blowing and the palm trees. I know you're thinking because like it's been cold here. Gosh, I want to go there. A pool and a jacuzzi and all of these things. And I'll never forget us sitting down to dinner for the very first time with them. And us just kind of walking in going, oh my gosh, where are we and what is happening? But they invited us to dinner and we got there and we're spending some time with them. And they were loving on our kids and still do to this day check in with us and things like that. But the the thought occurs to me, what in the world is happening? And they start to share their story about how they came from nothing, but how God had blessed everything they did have and multiplied it. And this is what they said. I've never heard these words said by any other person, but this is how I want my life to be. They said this during the conversation that God has simply blessed us and we see ourselves as funnels to what he wants to accomplish. I thought, I'm broke as a joke, and I don't think that. (laughs) Maybe if I thought that, that, well, you know. But the idea here is for me to just communicate to you all that what we have comes from him and belongs to him. It doesn't matter if you've got a million in the bank. It doesn't matter if you have zero in the bank. What you have currently was given to you from God Almighty. Let's read further in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 to 19. Verse 10, it says this, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Listen to the powerful way that this is articulated from the king. Who's who's in this moment raising funds or inviting people to bless the house of the Lord. He says, yours is this kingdom. It all belongs to you. Maybe it causes you to remember the words of Jesus in that model prayer that he gives his disciples. Yours is the glory. Yours is the kingdom forever and ever. Everything I have is yours. And you're exalted as head above all. What does the head do? It holds the brain that makes the decisions. That's as simple as I can get for you. You are exalted as head above all. Not just that you are some kingpin or ruler up here, but that you are the one who helps make the decision. And by his spirit, he's still leading his people in the same way today. It's incredible. So it says both riches and honor come from you in verse 12. 
and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people? That we should be able thus to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own have we given you. This is a rich king, but he he wasn't always that way. I want you to understand the trajectory of David's life led him from a pasture keeping sheep to then being exalted even after his life was at risk and all of these things. So in those dark moments, God was building something in him and he was being faithful in those moments. And now in this moment, he's able to articulate, to speak this out and to say, it is of your own hand that we are actually giving back to you because everything has been given by you. It says, verse 13, now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Who am I? What is my people? And then jump down to verse 15, for we are strangers before you and just sojourners. That, this is an old term from way back then, but vagabonds, just travelers, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. There's no keeping, like we're, we're all going to die at some point. Verse 16, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand is, and is all your own. Verse 17, I know my God that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I've seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts. What a powerful prayer. Keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. I could say casually, don't direct their hearts towards storage units, but direct their hearts to you. Don't direct their hearts to the bigger and better that they could just enjoy, but direct their hearts to you. That's what David's prayer is for his people, for God's people. In verse 19, he prays for his son. He says, grant to, my, to Solomon, my son, a whole heart <clears throat> that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, performing all that he may build the palace for which I have now made provision. We close our services with a time of worship and commitment. And today I've got just one or two other statements to make to you, but I want you to be thinking about where you stand. I can honestly say that I believe with all of my heart a majority of us would be in that crowd that day giving willingly and freely. I've seen it. I know it. I've experienced it. I've been the recipient of it in times. That God has been good and he's never failed. But I want you to just be thinking as we start this series and go through the next few weeks that a principle applies to all. 
And so the principles of giving and generosity don't care whether you're rich or poor. The principle doesn't care whether you're employed or unemployed. It doesn't care if you're young or you're old. The principle of generosity and giving that's in God's word, it applies to all of us. No matter what state we find ourselves in, God is the owner of everything we have. And because of that, we should give him the best. When we give anything to God, whether it's our time, our talents, or our treasure, God is not looking at the amount that we've given, but the heart behind it. I want you to understand that. The people who spend their time and coming to clean the church and wipe the toilets and empty the trash, uh, they could say, well, look at that, God. I don't even have to go to church tomorrow. I spent two hours today cleaning your house. That's not what it's about. I've told you before, I've been the one and I'm still in rotation of being one of the ones that clean the church periodically. And when I do, there can be moments where you're not thinking, thank you, Jesus, for the people that come onto this carpet and who walk into this room where you and your presence have changed lives. So it's not about the activity. It's about the heart behind it. Maybe you say today, Pastor, I'm about to join the cleaning team. Great. You can see Meg at the end of this service. She would love to tell you all about it. But here's what I want you to do today. I want you to stand with me and I want you to just do a little evaluation. Don't take it as Pastor stepped on my toes today or, you know, whatever you could take it as. I want you to take it as the word of God coming to you to help you just reorient yourself and to understand he's the owner. He's the owner of it all. Let's make a commitment in our hearts. You don't have to shout the prayer out loud, but just make the commitment in your heart today that you're going to engage in this message series over the next couple weeks, that you're willing to learn the principles of money that are found in God's word. And, And God, all I have is yours. Lord, I stand here today in no way, shape, or form like the status of King David. But I tell you from my heart with these people that, God, I'm so proud and so thankful that I've been pastoring this church. I'm so thankful for the gifts that have been given and received and given back to those in our community and around our world to see the gospel and to see life change occur. God, I'm so thankful that I've been part of this. And I pray over your people in this place and those that listen to this message that God, you would help us to truly honor you with all that we have. We thank you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray.